Good evening. As once again we are here to, as we have done even this morning, to worship the God of heaven. And as we lift our voice in praise and to our prayers that we pray unto Him is always a part of our worship. We begin this evening with a what we call an illustration. You're at home one evening, phone rings, pick up and answer it. It is a friend you haven't heard from in years. Matter of fact, you've lost track of him. The two of you over a period of time go back and forth comparing where each of you has been working, family, etc., etc., etc. As you go all through those things and have the good moments of laugh and enjoyment together, reacquainting yourself after a number of years, as it were, of being apart and not lost where each other was at. There's all smiles and everything, and all of a sudden, this friend drops the bomb. And he simply says to you, do you remember, oh, so-and-so? Gives the person's name. And you say, yes, I do. I remember them. I've even lost track of them. Why? Why would you mention him? He's in trouble. Oh, what happened? He killed a person. The shock hits you for a moment, the dismay, and you begin to think, wait a minute, this can't be, you're not telling me the truth. You know, we've known this person, we went to school with them, we grew up together, however you want to look at it, and you would thought, that was the last person on earth you'd ever think would do something like that. But yes, it has happened. He's in jail and awaiting the trial and so forth. Talk a little longer, but yet after that you hang up. Isn't that the way life is? There are the moments of joy, the moments of happiness, the moments that you, you know, have a good laugh with friends and family about things going on, and then the next moment everything goes down the drain. And we're down. At times we're down because of the circumstances of life itself. We're down at times because of things others have done that even reflect upon us because we knew them and it, it we're shocked and surprised that they would do such a thing. And there are times we are down because of our own fault. Why? Because we know as human beings we do mess things up. It is a simple fact of life that is played out every single day of the year. Wrong decisions are made. Poor judgment calls, if if you're going to call it for a moment. These things weigh upon our mind and we begin to second guess ourselves as we look back in that wonderful thing called hindsight. As we reflect on what we've done and says, you know, if we'd have thought this through, we wouldn't have done this, that, or the other. And so it is true when it when we hear the old saying, to err is human. That being the case, and that always in one case or another being true, most of the time our humanity is showing. Because we do things that are wrong. Let's share this evening a story. This story you are very familiar with. This story you've heard many times before about someone who messed things up found himself down in the dumps, 
reflecting upon his mistakes and wondering what would happen. You know him. You know him simply because it is the Apostle Peter. In Matthew 25, and I mean 26 it is, beginning with verse 31, this is the scene that plays out. Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I would not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. As we set the scene here, we're not too surprised at Peter's reaction. We're not surprised at what he said. This is Peter. Peter's one, as we always know, spoke first, asked questions later, so to speak. You can almost imagine for a moment as they are in that upper room and Christ says to them, all of you will fall tonight because of what's the events that are upcoming. You can look at them, kind of look at the shock on their face and, and wonder what's the Lord talking about. They're already in, up in the air. They're already in tension. They're already beginning to be afraid of what's happening. They know whatever's going to go on is going to happen soon. As John begins his rendition of that upper room scene beginning with John 14. Then there's Peter. Oh, don't you just love him. What does he do? He says, it will never happen to me. It will never happen to me. If they all, if they all, all of the other 11 walk off and leave you, Lord, and never see you again, not me. I will always be there. And you can almost see him stand up as he begins to recite this. And as Jesus lets him rant for a minute or two and says, uh, Peter, before the night end, you're going to die me. Now you know you've got Peter riled up now. You can almost see him yank his sword out of its scabbard and wave it around as he lets the Lord know emphatically, I would never do any of this. No doubt the people in the block around it could have heard him. He wanted everybody to know. He wanted to make everybody understand. If everybody walks away, Lord, not I. I will always be your side. I will always defend you. And we even know when we went to the garden that he whipped out his sword and cut off the ear of Malchus. Even as proof of saying, this, I'm not going to do any of these things you're telling me about. I'm going to stand up for you. He would always stand up for his Lord. That had been Peter. I will always stand up for my Lord. But you see, with that statement, there's something wrong. The wrong thing is, Peter had never been tested. To show or to prove that what he said, he would really do. Jesus already knew that good intentions are what they are. Good intentions. Convention speeches are what they are. 
they are convincing and they, and people will let it be known their good intentions and what they're willing to do. Uh, but when it comes to following through on what we have said is the real story. Will we do what we say we will do? Or will when the moment comes, take off and run like everyone else? Will we do exactly what they did? Peter's, one of his greatest mistakes was, Peter had more confidence in himself than he did in the Lord. He said, the Lord said, you'll all fall away tonight because of me, because of these upcoming events. You're going to, Peter, now, Lord, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. We're not going to leave you. We're not going to run away from you. Peter turns to, the Lord turns to Peter and says, to you specifically, you're going to deny me. Three times before that rooster crows. Now you really got Peter mad in essence, you know, how dare you? He was more confident in himself. And the fact that he would stand for his Lord and in his mind he meant every word of it. But Christ says, Peter, I know, I know, but you're not going to do it. Here's what's really going to happen. When it comes down to it, this is exactly what you will end up doing. The heart's lesson of life is this. is when we disappoint others who believe in us. When we disappoint the friends and families who love us and know us. But it's even, in essence, more devastating when we disappoint ourselves. And this is exactly what Peter did. Of all the sword waving and all of the accusations and all of the promises that he made, as it were, I'll never do none of these things. He did. The very thing he said he would never do. Continue in the same Matthew 26, jump down to verse 69. Now when Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystander, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Notice, he wept bitterly. This man was down. We would say really down. So the question it has to, it's going through his mind right now is that when we have, that he messed up everything. In the upper room, he was going to save to the end. But when it actually happened, he failed and ran. When we've messed up in our own lives, doing those things we would never imagine ourselves doing, that's when it really hits us so hard right in the face. Because we realize not only have we disappointed ourselves, we most of all have disappointed the Lord 
and we've disappointed others that know us and love us and thought a lot of us. So we must ask the question, what now? What now, Peter? When all the tears have been shed and the reality of the action has really begun to sink in, what now, Peter? What will the future hold for you? So we're going to ask two questions tonight. The first one is this, or the statement I should say, when we have messed up our lives, we need to know that the future can bring forgiveness. How could have Peter messed up any more than he just did? He had been impetuous before. He had again stuck his foot in his mouth as we always say about him. He had done and said things that were not right, but this had been the one that topped them all. Why? His loyalty. He'd already said, I'll stand with you, Lord. You could hear him shouting it. His love, his leadership was no longer dependable. He had failed in the moment that he said he would never do so. He had lied. He had even denied his Lord. He had survived this. He had survived it. But he paid the cost. His integrity and the expense of his soul had been wavered because of what he had done. The failure and the weeping bitterly lets us know Peter understood after all that happened, after the rooster crowed, and as one of the other Gospels remind us, when that happened, all it said was Christ looked at him as they carried him out. Didn't say a word. You know the look was enough to kill him. After all of that, Paul, Peter and his crying, Peter needed forgiveness. He desperately needed to be forgiven. And our question is, did that happen? And we look as the events unfold in Mark 16. It is interesting there in verse 7 that when the angel appeared to the women to, let, to announce them that the Lord had been resurrected has been promised on that third day, that they were to go to tell the disciples what had happened and the angels mentioned Peter specifically. Specifically. Why? Why would he pick Peter out of all the eleven and mention him by name? Because when you turn to Luke 24, you will find that before the Lord appeared to all of the other disciples, he had appeared to Peter first. Why? You know the answer. To let him know that I have forgiven you. The Lord simply appearing to Peter first, wanted to let him know by that appearance, I have forgiven you. He needed that forgiveness. More than any other time he had ever opened his mouth, he needed that forgiveness. He had messed up. This was the worst of the worst. He came to him first and let him know that he had been forgiven. When you think about that, you realize Peter would be like us today if someone was to ask them, well, how are things going with you here lately? Well, things seem to be looking up, you would say. 
which it really meant is, I'm not as down as I was a while ago. Here's the thing. Things will only look up when we begin to look up. They will only happen when we begin to live up. When we turn our eyes toward heaven, when we focus our attention upon Jesus Christ, not only as our Lord, our Savior, and our hope, rather than looking upon our own human weaknesses, the joy can return, we can be lifted out of that moment of despair and depression, we can be lifted out of our, as it were, out of the dumps of life, and realize and understand that the Lord has forgiven us. Peter knew the Lord had forgiven him. And so if he can forgive him, he can forgive us. But Peter must have thought even after being forgiven. What now? What now, Peter? What does the future hold for you? So this brings us to our next point. And is this, when we've messed up our lives, we need to know that, that the future not only can bring forgiveness, Peter's had that already, but it also can bring fulfillment and fruitfulness. Notice, as you read there in the rest of the gospel accounts, after this happened, after this was all behind him, and you knew the Lord had forgiven him, what does Peter do? Peter goes back to doing what he'd been doing all of his life, up to the three years or so he had followed Christ. He went back to being a fisherman. Why? Peter knew this profession. He'd been doing it all of his life. He was comfortable in doing it. So Peter was saying to himself, the Lord's forgiven me and I am thankful to my God that He has forgiven me. I'm worthless. I'm going to go back to doing what I know I can do. From this point, being a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, I can't do my Lord any more harm. I've lost my influence. No doubt the rest of the apostles thinks, what a, what a crazy guy I am. You're not going to think much more of me. So he goes back to what he was doing. He no longer in his mind felt he was qualified or even worthy of continuing serving his Lord. How many of us have been out that way? How many of us have been down that road and we've messed up our lives and we've done things we never thought we would ever do? We've even been warned to be careful that involve ourselves in such and such thing. This may happen to us and we've been warned but we run right on into it anyway. We mess up. We seek the forgiveness and we receive that forgiveness but still, we're in the back of our mind even though we've been forgiven, we've lost it all. We no longer have that influence we once had. We just don't. Our effectiveness for the good that we once had for the cause of Christ in our mind is gone. It's gone. All we can do now is, since there's no more worthiness of trust, we'll come to church. We're going to worship God. We're not going to quit doing that. We love Him. We've asked His forgiveness. He's forgiven me. But now since I've lost all this for what I've done, all I'm going to do from now on is come into worship and sit down and warm the pew and worship my God and shake hands with a few that I know, thank them for their friendship and hit the door running. Why? I'm not going to be able to do anything else. 
My effectiveness and my worthiness is gone. I've lost it. I've lost it. Peter was in that condition. And we've also found ourselves in the same way. So Peter does what he knows he can do. I can be a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. I'm good at that. You can almost see in the back of his mind being Peter again for a moment. I'm a fisherman. I know I can do it. I go back to what I've been doing all my life. Let's move the scene forward and let's move to John 21. What are they doing? They're fishing. Jesus comes upon the scene, tells them what to do, and they catch an abundance of fish out of the Sea of Galilee. A great abundance of fish. Jesus is just simply using it as a reminder. What's the reminder? What did He tell Him when He called Him? I'm going to make you what? Fishers of men. Peter, don't forget that. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so they, He wanted them to get that lesson. He wanted them to remember that. And after the abundance, they're sitting around having a, a meal together. And you notice, Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? All three times, Peter said yes. He affirmed that he loved him. And when he did, Jesus would tell him, Feed my sheep. What was he telling Peter? Peter, you gave up on yourself. <laughs> you thought I'm now worthy of nothing more to be a fisherman again on the Sea of Galilee. My influence is gone. My leadership is gone. The rest of them are not going to pay any more attention to me. Lord, I'm not worthy to work for you anymore. I have really messed up. And the Lord says, Peter, feed my sheep. What was he telling him? Peter, I still want you. I still need you. I'm still going to fulfill that promise I made to you back when you confessed that I was the Son of God. I'm going to still give you the keys of the kingdom. Peter, you're still worthy to worth something to me. I still love you. I still want your talents. There was the fruitfulness that his life would have that otherwise, if you'd stayed on the boat, would have never happened. We know of that fruitfulness, do we not? Acts 2, whose sermon is recorded? In Acts chapter, who's the keynote speaker, as it were? Who's the one we focus upon as that sermon is rehearsed for us in that second chapter? It is Peter. Who preached the gospel first to the Gentile world? Had to have a little nudge along. We know about the, the vision to make him understand that they were not unclean animals anymore, so to speak, in the eyes of a Jew. But he went. He preached to the Gentile world for the first time the gospel of Christ. And what did he learn from it? God is no respecter of persons. Peter became fruitful for his Lord. And his whole life, he writes two marvelous grand epistles. 
that were filled with great, wonderful, practical truths for every child of God. Here's an old man who writes in wisdom about the events of his life and trying to encourage others that were being persecuted. And we read them today and we still learn from them. But what would have happened if Peter not never got off the boat? It was his choice. He's a human being, free moral agent. It's his choice. What would happen if he hadn't got off the boat? That would have been the end of the story of Peter, wouldn't it? In Acts 2, the Gentiles, and so forth, we would have read of one of the others doing those things. And all Peter would have been remembered as in the eyes of us today, as we would look at his life, if that would have happened, we would look at the Apostle Peter and said, here's an example of failure. And that's what we would have used him as. One who worked for the Lord, one was his apostles. He messed up the lowest part of his life. He denied his Lord three times if he said he wouldn't do it. He did it anyway. He walked away. And all we would remember him as is what? A failure. A failure. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. His repentance was there when he wept bitterly. The Lord appeared to him to show him that he had been forgiven by the Lord of what he had done. The Lord had to kind of shake Peter a little bit and says, Wake up, Peter. You are still my fisher of men. I want you to still feed my sheep. And that's what happened. And so we don't read Peter as a failure. We read of Peter, the great apostle, that we know and love him to be. Now, what is it that paved the way for his fruitfulness? What was the, what was it that caused all of this to change after what he had done to his Lord? What was it? The answer is in John 21. The answer is simple. The answer basically is the only thing that will cause us to move on when we have failed. It is the only thing that will motivate us as we move forward that will help us reestablish that, you know, influence, that doing good for others, being more than just warming a pew. It is right there in front of us. And it is the love that He had for the Son of God. That's what it was. His love for the Lord had never failed. He done what He did. Yes! He denied his Lord. He had done the worst thing he ever thought he would ever do in his life. He did it. But what motivated him? It was his love for the Son of God. He loved Jesus more than anything else in all of the world. Or else he wouldn't have been the infectious one who screamed and yelled at the top of his lungs, I'll never do any of these things. But the turning point, the change, was the fact that the Lord and his love for him was that great. Was that great? So Peter tells us, really at times, maybe not even saying anything, what will get you through a low moment in life is the forgiveness and the Lord's guarantee that he will and your love for him that will keep you going. 
and keep you moving forward, reestablishing the influence, reestablishing the help that you once had for others is reborn again in the confidence that's restored in the eyes of others towards you. If we do and we learn anything from Peter, we can learn that we can find a future of forgiveness and fulfillment and fruitfulness in spite of the fact that we've done something maybe as horrible as Peter knew he had done when he denied his Lord after twice telling the world that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. This evening though, when we look at our own selves, have there been those moments in your life, those unfaithful moments, those weaknesses, doing those things which you said in your mind you would have never done whatsoever, but you find that you have done so. You've messed up. We don't have to stay that way, does it? The Lord forgave Peter. The Lord says, I will forgive you. So to see me as a child of God, if you strayed from my truth, here's the opportunity to come back. To return home. Don't ask God's forgiveness, but the promise it will be so. Put it behind you. These loving brethren of ours will love you to death, encourage you, strengthen you, build you back up, and you can move forward like he did. Don't end your life as a failure. Ended on a positive note as you move forward as a child of God. While together we stand and while we sing.